These past few weeks, we've been in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1 was uh, where we started. It was a handing off of uh, the baton, passing along from Moses to Joshua. And then last week, was, we looked at Rahab, and uh, we looked at that thread of redemption, that story of redemption, God's grace in the life. It's an amazing story because uh, God's providential uh, working was in the midst of that story the whole time, even the spies having to go uh, spy out the land. They ended up at Rahab's house, and uh, God saved a life and a family through that process. And as we just discussed last week, that uh, saving of that life in turn, had ripple effects down even to Jesus himself, as Rahab was uh, Jesus from the line of Rahab. This morning, we're looking at stepping out in faith from Joshua chapter 3. It was not my initial intent to travel through the book of Joshua. Uh, However, it does seem as we've been moving along that it's very fitting uh, for uh, us, so we're going to continue on that as long as it uh, seems to be right. So Joshua chapter 3, if you turn there in your Bibles. Joshua chapter 3, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan. He and all the people of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of the three days, the Officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you should set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way which you should go. For you have not passed this way before." Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that I was with, uh, I, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come, hear, and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Hivites and the Parasites, the Gershagites and the Amorites and the Jebusites, uh, before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes uh, of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Lord the Lord of all the, hev- of the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, 
And the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped into the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down toward the sea of the Ereba, the salt sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on the ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Heavenly Father, I pray as we dive into Your Word this morning, Lord, we want to, to discover what You are doing. We want to discover more and more about who You are, the great and amazing creating God, sustaining God, the one that was working in the midst of these people. And Lord, we recognize that there will be lessons that we can draw for our own lives. So we pray, whatever that lesson might be for us this morning, we've come here, many of us from different backgrounds, and we have a different story, and we have different struggles and different challenges, different battles, and yet, Lord, your word will speak to each one of us in the way that you see fit. So we just pray that your spirit would have its way here uh, this morning, and that your word would be lifted up, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Doug Goins, in the opening verse of Joshua chapter 3, God illustrates for us three essentials for moving ahead by faith, claiming all that He has for us. This is what God desired for Israel, and also what He desires for us. First, that the Israelites were willing to wait on the Lord even when it was difficult to wait. Second, They were willing to follow the Lord unconditionally. And third, they were willing to consecrate themselves before the Lord. The only way to go on is by faith. Right? That's the only way. Faithlessness or unbelief says no. Let's go back to where it is safe. But faith says let's go forward to where God is working. Forty years before, Joshua and Caleb had assured the Jews with these words, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. That is faith, he says. But the people said that they were not able to do it. And that's faithlessness. That unbelief cost the nation 40 years of discipline in the wilderness. Right? And uh, Cyril Barber says, And he has this opening note. At the time of the Israelite encampment on the banks of the Moab River of Jordan, the Jordan was in flood. Those in Jericho probably felt reasonably safe behind their city's doubled walls. For the river was deemed to be an impassable, especially at this time of year. The people of Jericho probably believed that the only two courses that lay open there for the Israelites were to journey north and to cross the Jordan, uh, below Lake Hila, journey south and cross into Canaan, right, by circling around the lower end of the Dead Sea. If they chose the former, they would face a coalition of the northern kingdoms. And if they opted for the latter, they would face a coalition of the southern kingdoms. God, however, chose another route. 
And as you look at the map, you can see that the children of Israel had wandered around for 40 years in that lower section and now had made their way around and they were going to cross. Uh, that's where they were on the, the banks of the Jordan River, ready to cross over into the Jericho region. So we look at chapter 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and set out from Shittim. Then is an expression. It's an expression of time that's taken place which should always draw our attention. The Bible uses a small words sometimes to begin things, but those words can be very powerful and very important. This is one of those times. Then. Then indicates, and we should uh, be forced to draw and examine the context of what we're looking at here and discern what that progression of events is that's taking place in the text. Joshua received just recently... They just came back, the report from the two spies who had gone into the promised land. Right? These spies came back, they, they gave the report, and this indicates then that there's an immediate action that takes place. An immediate action to make preparations to possess the promised land. If you recall, 40 years later when the spies came back and gave their report, there was a delay. They had to discuss. They had to uh, debate whether it was even possible to go in because there was a bad report and there was a good report. And now we see that Joshua does not hesitate. He's ready to take action. Taking action is a strong theme in the book of Joshua, and especially through these first few chapters. The book of James is very similar to the book of uh, Joshua in this theme. Or you say, if you want to sum up James, it's immediate action is required in a, in a number of areas of our lives. There's action that we're required to take. If you're old enough to remember, there was a, a group called Petra in the 80s and 90s, a Christian group, and one of their song lyrics was, Hurry up! And wait upon the Lord. Right? Hurry up and wait upon the Lord. And those two themes collide here in Joshua chapter 3 where Joshua is taking immediate action. Point number one that we find of the immediate action is that they're going to break camp. Right? They were going to break, the, break camp and get ready to move. Chapter 3 verse 1, they were comfortable, some of them in the past, Catch that. Some of them were probably very comfortable in the past. It's been 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Their clothes, their shoes, it says specifically, never wore out. Their meals were provided by God daily. Every morning. Right? They had food. They had clothes. God protected them from their enemies right? that were, were going to attack them. So on one hand, you would think that they can't wait to get to this promised land. Yet on the other hand, they had become familiar. Right? Familiar. Comfortable. Right? And conditioned with where they were at. Right? They, they've, been, they've been familiar with this. You see, sometimes we've got to remind ourselves that because we're comfortable doesn't always mean we're in the right place. Because it's familiar doesn't necessarily mean it's the right place to be. 
And these Israelites had to break camp because they had to break from the past. The majority, almost all but two, had never been here before. All they knew were the wandering in the desert. All they knew was God's provision for them during that time. And this is something new. It's something that is unfamiliar that they're entering into. And so, this will require faith. And faith in action. Verse 2 and 3. At the end of the three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you should set out from your place and follow it. Right? There's going to be two or three days when they uh, are going to be sitting there ready, preparing uh, for their next adventure. But at the end of those three days, the officers went through the midst of their camp. So the text does not give us any indication. We have no details as to why the three days. But clearly, there were preliminary preparations that had to be undertaken in crossing the Jordan. Also keep in mind, it's spring season. And so this is the time when the waters, uh, right? There's melting happening from Mount Hermon. And the latter rains would swell up the Jordan River into a raging river. So you can imagine being an Israelite and you're, you're seeing this raging river for three days. That's all you see ahead of you is the impossible. Remember we started on what's the impossible thing that you've ever faced in your life. This is the impossible thing that these Israelites have never seen. And so they're staying there for three days not knowing how they'd be able to cross. Right? Uncertain. It looks impossible. Would it uh, even, you know, happen? What's going to take place? So it must have been during these three days that God gave Joshua assurance that He, Yahweh, would make a way across the Jordan. Are you staring at the impossible circumstance in your life? Obstacles in a believer's life, someone has said, are life's opportunities for God to show Himself as a mighty God. Someone else said, fear sees the obstacles. Faith sees the opportunity. So in every difficult and difficult time that you can find yourself in, maybe an opportunity that God is presenting for Him to show Himself. But it depends on what we focus on. So those Israelites stood there camped for three days looking at the Jordan River and just focused on it. All they would see was the impossible. right? The problem, the size. And yet, they needed to be drawn to the almighty, powerful God who was going to make a way. He's going to make a way. They had to have faith to see the opportunities despite the obstacles in their way. So the question is, Will we focus on the size of our obstacle in front of us or on the size of our God? God will provide a way for you to cross over the raging river that you are facing. However, it's not a guarantee. But what is guaranteed? 
What do we know for sure? What can we bank on? Well, 1 Corinthians 10.13, Paul tells us, no temptation or test has overcome you or overtaken you, but such is common to man. But God, God is faithful. Remember those little words, but, but God is faithful and He will not allow you to be tempted or tested beyond what you are able, but, with, but will with that test or temptation provide a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. Let me ask you another question. Will God be most glorified in your life by bringing you through possible circumstances or maybe impossible circumstances? Right? An amazing thing that God's going to make a way. And so we go to number 3 in chapter 3, verse 5. And this is the command as they're going to be instructed to follow that Ark of the Covenant. But first, they need to rise up, consecrate the people, and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. Right? Tomorrow, the Lord your God, the God of Israel. Tomorrow is going to do consecrate. Some of the translations say sanctify yourselves. Well, that's the same word, consecrate or sanctify. It's kadash right, in the lexicon. And it means to set apart for a special use. Consecrate, sanctify, prepare, dedicate is another way of saying it. Be hallowed or holy. Right? Remove from the common use. Show oneself to be holy. To set apart a person or a thing from all common or secular purposes for a greater purpose. Everything consecrated to God was separated from all profane use. Kadesh signifies an act or a state in which people or things are being set apart for use in the worship of God. They are consecrated, made sacred for purpose. They must be withheld from ordinary use and treatment with special care and treated with special care as something which belongs to God. And so you got to ask yourselves, it doesn't tell us in the text how did they consecrate themselves? Right? What did they do? Well, they're just commanded to consecrate themselves and so uh, the purpose and the way in which they went about that would have been reflection, right, in their own lives, maybe a commitment and a recommitment to the Lord uh, in their lives. For special victory, we must be willing to separate ourselves from all that might defile us so that we can be set apart for God's purposes in our lives. In addition, before God can do in our lives what He wants to do many times, we must be clean vessels before Him. And I'm thinking of 2 Timothy 2.21 where it says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, He will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful to the Master, prepared for every good work. So, what is the thought here? Get it cleaned up. What is it that we need to say even this morning before the Lord? Lord, i got to get it cleaned up. I need You to help me. I'm looking for mercy and grace and strength. G. Campbell Morgan said it this way, the church pure is the church powerful. There is a certain measure of God's power that is manifest in the believer's life when we walk in purity before God. It's a difficult task in the world in which we live today. 
We have so many things that come at us in so many different ways, and yet I think the call for purity is such a powerful one that we need to continue to put into our lives. What an interesting battle strategy for a nation who's ready to embark on, on battle. Right? Their mission is to take the promised land. And what is the battle strategy? Break camp and get your life ready. Break the past, look forward, and get your life prepared for what's ahead. But what a principle for our own lives. No matter what stage of life we're at, we need to sometimes break from the past. We need to get our lives right in a right standing before the Lord, which leads to the next strategic step. We need to follow the Lord's lead. You'll see it in 3, three to 4 and 6 to 8 that there's a key word here. It's used as we follow the Lord. In Joshua chapter 3, it's ark. It occurs 10 times in 8 verses out of the total of 17 verses. Ark of the Covenant. And it may surprise you to learn that Joshua 3 is in fact the most consecrated use of the word ark in all of Scripture in this context of Ark of the Covenant. The ark which symbolizes God's presence and it symbolizes His power. The power of Yahweh who is clearly the central figure. Not the courageous leadership of Joshua, although that's true in this context. Or the willingness of the people of Israel to fight. The key figure, the one we need to remember, is Yahweh God. He is the key figure in this story, account. God is the one who is going to take them into the promised land. He's going to drive out the enemies and He's going to give them the land. It's God who's going to do this. And I guess for you and I, we've got to keep that in perspective as we break and we try to get right again with the Lord that it's God who is going to do what He wants to do as we move forward. And in our lives, it's His presence and His power that we need to rely on. Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you. By this. By what? By what do we know that the living God is amongst us? The miracle of the Jordan crossing. Right? Notice that although God told Joshua, I don't know if you saw that, He told him He's going to be exalted, that God will exalt Joshua amongst the people. Uh, and this was in a private conversation between he and God. Joshua does not allude to this when he is speaking to the people. It was a private conversation and communication meant only for Joshua's encouragement. So Joshua's humility is clearly seen in the fact that he doesn't pass that information along. He simply drives to exalt God and what God is going to do amongst them. And do not, pass, and do not miss the important part here in the import of Joshua's description as of Yahweh. Yahweh is the living God. I would underline that in my Bible. God, the living God. You see, this is totally in contrast to what's going to take place. It's a striking contrast to the dead gods of the ites that we read. And we snicker at the Canaanites, Jebusites, all the ites that we have to say. And yet, as we look at it, their gods were dead gods. 
and many of them. So one would think that this description would serve to deter and kind of warn the people of Israel, right, from longing after the dead idols of the Canaanites. But sadly, this would not prove to be the case. If you know your history, at North Shore Community Church where I was previously serving, we we came through a series in Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And this is where God was bringing the nation of Israel back to the promised land after spending over 70 years in captivity for their disobedience and their serving and allowing other gods into their lives as a nation instead of serving the living God and obeying and trusting Him. And they felt that consequence. They were deported out of their homeland. This homeland that they are here entering into. So the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. The Ark symbolizes God going before them to, if you take notes, this is good, to prepare, to protect, to provide. right, To make a way for Israel. That Ark symbolized for them God's presence going before them. And that it was God who would lead them. So in short, it was Jehovah who would lead His people into the promised land. So don't miss this great description, Lord of all the earth, for Jehovah, Yahweh alone is the Master of the universe. Stands in stark contrast if you're under 50. To the Masters of the universe. We have God who is the Master of the universe. Step four. Number four. Step into the water. Chapter 3, 14-17. So in a similar setting in which Israel was faced with a great obstacle over 40 years prior as an approaching Egyptian army is on their tail, Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see again. Right? There's, there's a, an account where Moses has brought the people to the Red Sea and God was going to provide for them because He's going to open up those walls and they're going to walk through. Well, these uh, individuals are at the same situation now at the Jordan River. So if you'd been one of the Israelite children, saying about you, you would have kind of asked maybe your mother or your father, how are we going to get across the flooding river? And your mother or father would probably say, God will make a way. God will make a way. But there is no way. The Jordan River is at full flood stage in the spring at carrying the runoff of the water of more than 18,300 square kilometers of territory, including the mountain in the north. And all of this valley has filled up with water. Right? It's filled up and, and the early rains of the fall or in October with most of its precipitation occurring from December to February. But these latter rains occur in April and the Scripture says now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Speaking of the, har- the barley harvest that took place in April. And we know it's in April because we know that in chapter 2, Rahab hid the spies on her roof 
And does anyone recall where? Under the barley stalks. So we know that it's the April barley harvest. We know it's this time of year that's taken place. It's the month of Passover as well. So if the fords are flooded, the spies would have had a lot of trouble themselves getting across, swimming across this lake to get their intelligent mission. So getting this whole army across would be difficult. It would be dangerous. And it would make them vulnerable to an attack. But how do you get the women and children across? The only answer that the mother could give is God will make a way. And that's often the only way we know how to answer our own doubts, sometimes our own fears, our own challenges, our own obstacles, is to make that theme very much a part of our lives. God will make a way. There's a beautiful rendition of God will make a way by, now this is if you're older, Don Moen, in the song that he sings, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. I've always been impressed with the fact that the water, do you notice something? The water doesn't stop until the priest's feet touch it. It's still there. Right up until the point that they have to step out in faith believing that God is going to do what He's going to do. Sometimes God's miracles take place ahead of us. That Red Sea scenario 40 years ago parted and the children of Israel had left Egypt. It parted before them. But now, sometimes God waits for us to take a step of faith before the miracle of provision happens. F.B. Meyer says, mark, all the, mark the all-inclusiveness of the miracle. This is an all-inclusive miracle. It did not concern the strong only, but also the weak. Not men only, but women and children. Not the loyal and true only, but it included the murmurers and the doubters and the fearless, uh, fearless and the unbelieving. Achan, whose heart, we will see in, in chapter 6, whose heart was preparing to, for his deed of sin. And yet Caleb, the hail warrior who wholly followed the Lord, Not one was missing. The feet of the priests stood firm till every individual of the redeemed race had crossed the river. It is a blessed anticipation of the keeping back of a more awful flood until without one exception, the entire host of the church has entered that city whose walls are salvation and its gates praise. So what is the step of faith? What is the step of faith that you may need to be taking today? If we want to boil down to kind of the application of our own lives, we need to ask ourselves, is there an area of my life that maybe I'm being called to, to take a step of faith, trusting that God will make a way where there seems to be no way? Is it believing and confessing the Lord? Do you today need to believe and confess the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior for the very first time and take that step of faith? Is He calling you and drawing you to do that? Is it being obedient to God's command to be baptized? A few weeks ago, you witnessed the baptism of a number of people here. That doesn't have to wait 
till the next time. You can, you know, if the Lord's pressing you to say, I too need to follow in obedience to Him, and maybe that's the step of faith I need to take. Is it a commitment of financial giving to God's work in some way that He's calling you to? Is it a step of faith to serve the body of believers in a ministry or to use the gifts that God has given you to serve Him? Each one of us are instructed to use our time, talents, and treasures for the Lord. That's what we're called to do. This doesn't gain us any special standing or merit before the Lord. It's a response of the overflow of what God has done and His grace and His goodness in our own lives. He's poured out for us. Or maybe it is a prompting to speak up about Jesus to someone at work or a neighbor or a friend. What is that thing that you need to trust the Lord on this morning and step out in faith? Is it trusting Jesus to take control of a certain situation you're facing? Or the way someone's treating you? Do you need to trust God? Or something in your heart that needs to be addressed, confessed, repented of, and turned away from? Break camp. They had to consecrate themselves to God. They had to follow the Lord's leading and they had to step out into the water. Our God is faithful to uphold you. He's faithful to carry you through. Praise the Lord for His faithfulness and seek to step out in faith this morning. Heavenly Father, we pray. As we see the account here of Joshua and the people of Israel and how You are leading them. Their battle strategy is unique to that of battle. To break camp and to consecrate themselves to You before You surrender their lives. And then to uh, walk in obedience of following You where You're going to lead them. Even though it seems impossible and the obstacles are great, they still trusted You, and then to step out in faith, knowing that You will make a way where there seems to be no way. So God, I just pray, whatever that area of our own lives that You may be speaking to us about this morning, God, that we would get that right between us and You. We would surrender it. We would confess it. We would bring it to You. We'd lay it before You, trusting You, Lord, that You're going to to do what is right and good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.